you're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Sophia Foster Demino, and Sophia's new book is uh, Sex Fantasy uh, from Koyama Books, uh, a 400 and some odd page uh, brick of wonderful mini comics uh, collection of uh, work that you've been doing, I guess, like last five or so years. Yeah, four to five years. The first issue of Sex Fantasy I put out at SF Zine Fest, um, yeah, many years ago. It's funny because I just did SF Zine Fest this past weekend, but I'm not sure exactly how many years, four, between four and five, or either four or five. <laughs> now, does that kind of capture a bit of like when you started doing comics to like where you're at now? It's like a spectrum of your work. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was kind of thinking about this, you know, I was sort of jamming to finish the book and not really appreciating appreciating it as a whole object until I got it in my hands. But people are starting to get it. Like one of my friends in LA got it from uh, Secret Headquarters kind of in advance. Um, or maybe it was Skylight, can't remember. But anyway, it's like out in the wild, people are like, wow, it's so huge. I didn't realize that like all those all those little zines are going to add up to something so big. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it is like a really wide range of work. And to me, uh, like the improvement from issue one to issue 10 is pretty obvious. But then like some people prefer the earlier ones and like don't like the direction. (laughs) So it's kind of, that makes me glad, I guess, because um, I, I would rather it be sort of like an array of different kinds of things people might like rather than just like a steady progression of bad to good. Like four hundred pages of like yeah, just gags my over artistic and over again. evolution, yeah. yeah. No. Um, but the the early issues are definitely like uh, I I was working on larger stuff when I did the first issue and was finding myself kind of daunted by like uh, the a longer format. I mean, it wasn't that long. The thing I was working on at the time it was like sixty pages, um, but it was still intimidating for me. I'd only done like the longest thing I'd done up until that point was like a 10 page mini. Um, and I just wanted to like take the pressure off. I had like a week before zine fest and I wanted to make a short mini and I found it so much more like creatively stimulating to do something that didn't have to fit the typical, you know, album type format. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I guess what I've noticed throughout the book is that it does kind of steer its way towards more straightforward narrative, but hopefully you can see that it's like still informed by the sort of exploratory nature of the first couple issues. Well, I feel like, like it gets narrative-y, but it's not standard narrative. Like it's kind of you, the way I read it is you kind of exploring your own voice as a creator and kind of finding what you're comfortable with and kind of improving on it and delving in deeper and deeper in the process. Oh, I'm glad that that comes through. Yeah, I think something that emerged through sex fantasy that I definitely feel more confident about expressing now, but I had to like make this book in order to do that, uh, is just that I really don't like a typical like conflict setup in narrative in most comics. Um, and I really wanted to explore like my own way of pacing a story and establishing a story and resolving a story. Mm-hmm. Um, the books that I like the most are the ones that, you know, detractors might say are too open-ended or too vague or like meandering. Um, but those are really the ones that I like. And I started out kind of self-conscious feeling like I really needed to have like a three-act structure and 
um, like a denouement and then like a climax and then like a like tying up the loose ends after that. Uh, and it, it was my experience with like indie comics and then also some, you know, experimental plays and movies and novels and things like that that make me feel more sure that I I don't want to go that traditional route. And that's a, that's such a bonus for me when reading your work because it's just like I love how it's very much in just in the moment. Like, mm, yeah, I don't need a precursor. I don't need to know what happens after. I'm just kind of experiencing that time. Yeah. Um, were you by any chance watching Twin Peaks while it was going on recently? Yes. Of oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I've been David Lynch fan since I was like 10 years old. My mom was like a film teacher and I saw Eraserhead when I was way too young. Oh, no. <laughs> I still can't watch the <laughs> yeah, one scene. It's pretty harsh. Yeah, <laughs> it's gross. But like, I've been so drawn to his movies and uh, it took a long time for me to like reconcile what attracts me about his style and how that kind of refers to my own expression. Mm-hmm. But while I was watching Twin Peaks and I was also like uh, listening to this audiobook of his uh, autobiography Catching the Big Fish where he sort of talks about like transcendental meditation and his creative approach uh, he talks about how like he really starts stories a lot of the time from images like he just gets a striking thought of like a scene where people are standing in a certain position and one person's like a a lawman and one person's like a starlet and then there's like a dog and then he kind of builds the story out of that and I realized that I, I do that a lot. Like, I don't know what the quote unquote right way to construct a story is, but I feel I always felt self-conscious that my way was wrong, sort of like prioritizing these mysterious, compelling scenes that I, I didn't really understand myself the point for, but I knew that I had to like make them fit into a story somehow. Um, but yeah, like listening to Lynch talk about that, I feel more confident about just sort of like chasing that and seeing where it leads me. Um and I really get kind of turned off by stories where the writer's motives are a little transparent. Like it's clear that they kind of set up the characters in order to serve the plot rather yeah. than vice versa. Um, now, I just want to talk openly about the finale of it. Uh, so for folks that haven't watched it, maybe skip ahead. Oh, Twin Peaks spoilers? Yeah. <laughs> Is that okay? Sure. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I mean, ooh, I don't know because is it I, too I, soon? I, well, I think it is. I think it might be too soon. I also like want people to watch it. Uh, okay. We can talk about it in vague terms if you think that's possible. Um, <laughs> Suffice to say that the finale is extremely open to interpretation. <laughs> and well, it's it's the finale and the role the finale plays versus the previous, and how it kind of um, really. I think one of the big takeaways, and let's, let's see if I can keep it vague in mm-hmm. a way, is that um, the experiences matter more than the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Twin Peaks sort of becomes to me sort of like a tapestry of different feelings and like different senses of being in control or out of control. And all of the plot points are kind of like secondary to that. Like there are all these hints throughout the series where it's like explaining the mythology and like the FBI backstory. And you kind of feel like it's almost going to fit together like a puzzle. But in reality, the feeling of it fitting together 
is is built up just so it can be torn down. <laughs> like the only reason that the, it's starting to come together is so that he can like orchestrate this like pulling the rug out from under you. And I respect that, of course. Like I I was really emotional after the finale, but I have to admit that that's like of course that's the more like true way of accomplishing that that theme. It's like the world's most complicated Jenga. Yeah. I think it's stable. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, the reason it also, like, I, my girlfriend wouldn't watch it because she kept falling asleep. Um, <laughs> and, the pacing was, was slow in parts for sure. <laughs> yeah. But it was also like, um, I was explaining to someone who hadn't watched it yet, like, it is incredibly, it's, it can be slow, but it's also incredibly terrifying. Like yeah, some for of the sure. imagery he does, like, it is an uncomfortable thing. Um, yeah, and all the he does all the sound design himself, and it's some of the most like it really just like wriggles inside your head. It's very very unnerving. Yeah, that's uh, that very industrial um, intenseness which he does so so well. Uh, yeah, thanks, David. Um, <laughs> thanks, David. <laughs> But we should talk about your book. Um, oh, sure. It's funny. Yeah. I always feel weird when I meander onto other stuff. Um, Definitely now, relevant to my interests. Yeah. <laughs> Is it nice to, like, be able to watch that now after completing such, like, a big project and knowing that it's not going to filter into what you're doing? Um. I think, yeah, a lot of the media and, like, the creators that I really look up to, uh, I feel like the time of direct influence has kind of passed for me, and I'm reaching a point where, like, people's work affects my work in so much as it, like, strengthens my resolve to have as individual a voice as possible, mm-hmm. um, and, like, really try and pick out, like, what is the path that only I can walk, and, like, with some people, it's hard because their their voice is so strong and seductive. It makes me feel like, oh, my God, I need to be doing something more like this. Um, but I feel like where I'm at now as a creator, I need to, like, dig more within, which David Lynch talks about all the time. <laughs> um, I didn't even know that he had a, a memoir. That's... Yeah, it's, it's quite short. He's sort of – it's pretty scattered – it doesn't really talk about his early life, more like the creative process for some of his movies and the effect of transcendental meditation on his life, which I don't, I don't meditate currently, but Roman does do transcendental meditation <laughs> kind of partially because Lynch endorsed it. <laughs> uh, he's had great results. I mean, I, I can't endorse it personally, but, um, but just sort of the, the, what I get from that, his endorsement of that is just like, uh, you, you really have to like trust yourself and challenge yourself and kind of admit that you yourself may not know exactly what you're trying to express. That So you kind of almost have to set up a dialogue with yourself when you're making a new work in order to tease out what you're trying to say. Now, was all the work in this previously published? Um, no, almost... the la- the last two issues have never been published. Okay. And they're, they're each like, uh, I think one's like 60 pages, one's like 90 pages. Um, so it's a significant portion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's like a solid sixth of the book that hasn't been published before. Um, I can talk a little bit about the structure. So I have this informal structure for sex fantasy, which I reflected in the chapter headers in the collection, which is that, uh, issues one through three are about people talking about themselves. So it's all I statements. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the next three issues, four to... Sorry, I'm just flipping through. Yeah, four to six are about dialogues between two people. And then seven to nine are about specific people in my life. So each of those have a dedication at the end. Okay. Um, one of them is about Roman, obviously. Uh, his photograph is there and everything. Um, one of them, uh, issue eight, is about another person that I... Uh, met in the past couple of years and then issue nine is about my uh, college roommate and best friend and it's sort of a, a story about a, a terrible trip that she went on when we were both freshmen in college and then the last issue um, I guess the the theme that I intended for it was just like a literal exploration of the concept of a sexual fantasy um, fi finally <laughs> uh, after being kind of like coy and sideways about it for the whole book um, I wanted to like literally explore the like applications of sex fantasies in that story um, so you really like it using that title off the bat like the the meanings change throughout it for you then yeah i chose it almost offhand i think what i said at the time was that i just wanted something shocking uh there are there is some like sexual content or like very you know uh sort of veiled sexual content in the first couple issues but mm. um my interpretation and the interpretation that people have gotten from it without any prompting from me is that it's more about like emotional intimacy, which, you know, I guess for a lot of people is like necessary for a sex fantasy or like a sexual encounter. Um, but it's sort of like what it takes to feel close to someone or what it takes to feel in tune with someone or like on the same dimension or plane as someone in order to like be in harmony with them. Mm -hmm. I wonder like, kind of reading the book one of the things i was thinking about just like um having connections with folks and i wonder about like um kind of going the mindset especially with the early chapters of kind of like through these ideas and then the first couple after those i'm thinking like do you have a lot of crushes like do you kind of like, just like <laughs> see a lot of people I'm like that person's pretty that person's pretty uh that's cute and just kind of like and and how that process goes with like your own kind of creativity yeah i think that's absolutely true especially for the earlier issues um it was a pretty tumultuous time in my life um and how can i put this delicately <laughs> <laughs> that's why i use the term crushes just yeah yeah uh i think for me i have an overactive imagination uh and i'm also a very anxious person so i kind of play out scenarios in my head pretty obsessively. Uh, and the combination of those two factors means like I, I do imagine like romantic scenarios a lot of the time. And part of that kind of is like, how does that affect my self embodiment and like my self expression? Because at least when I started doing sex fantasy, I definitely felt kind of like an unbaked personality or like in the process of emerging and defining myself. I was very shy and, uh, really subject to peer pressure and uh, insecure and unsure of myself. So I didn't have a lot of confidence about the person that I wanted to be. Uh, so when you fixate on someone in like a romantic or sexual sense, uh, it kind of affects how you are as a person. You think like, oh, I need to be this kind of person in order to grow closer to this person. Or if this person sees something in me, that means that I, that I must be this kind of person that they're seeing. Um, 
So for someone who's kind of unformed or unsteady in themselves, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very challenging experience. Lots of questions emerge. And I think that's definitely reflected in the comics. Um, did the comics kind of play a role in helping you kind of clarify your thoughts? Because you do um, run through different scenarios, different personalities, different experiences, different people. Um and to kind of think of that way of like sometimes people write and all these characters are just facets of themselves and stuff and I'm curious about that of just like kind of really finding yourself through that yeah I think I definitely did um I I really valued having people's reactions to the stories as I was writing them that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I enjoy about you know a, a series a mini comic series where you update it and people kind of you know, follow along and some issues are their favorites and some aren't. And it's really fascinating to see what people pick as like what speaks to them. Um, And that kind of helps me self-reflect. I mean, maybe it's a little weird to be having this like therapeutic, personal, emotional journey in connection to the comics you're publishing. But I feel like a lot of people in indie comics do that. Yep. So maybe it's not that weird. <laughs> uh, so I'll excuse myself for now. Um, but yeah, like I met, I met so many friends through publishing this series. So many people would like give it a close read and be really vulnerable saying what it meant to them, how it applied to similar experiences they'd had in their lives. Um, and I, I did feel like it helped me settle and solidify by the end. And I think this is reflected in the comics. Uh, I I sort of had more of like a value judgment of what the characters were doing and sort of a, a clarity. And without spoiling the last story, uh, I definitely intended for the the main character, the protagonist, to come out of it, you know, with a sense of inner completion and and dignity. And you know, she kind of emerges unscathed from this experience of of encountering someone who has a fantasy of her that might not align with who she really is. Mm-hmm. There's something that I really love about the intimacy with the book, and I think maybe that's maybe one of the things that folks really have connected with, how it's intimate in a way as far as, like, um, that raw emotion to the experiences where people are kind of... Ex- um, feeling themselves out and kind of exposing themselves or being vulnerable in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I feel like the issue that I got the most like questions about (laughs) was uh, issue eight where the woman uh, exposes herself in a grocery store. That might've been the one you were hinting at. No, actually. (laughs) And I realized as I was saying that, that was probably like the obvious and like, I didn't mean like, (laughs) like physically exposing themselves, Mm -hmm. but like there's the one where there's the conversation while um, two women are walking. Mm-hmm. and that feels oh, yeah. really vulnerable yeah. that's what i mean by vulnerable like yeah yeah that one that the uh issue five i guess where they're sort of like on a first date and opening up for the first time yeah the angle that i went with that was sort of like uh you know the idea of sex fantasy when you're just dating someone you're really excited about them you're trying to put your best self forward but you also want to be honest because you want the relationship to last but you kind of go back and forth between like bragging and being self-deprecating and and you haven't settled on your your um dynamic with each other yet uh and i yeah i guess like uh, i don't know if it's too if it's like a bad thing or not but um 
I guess I'm pretty open and vulnerable myself in my comics, which, uh, you know, sometimes people think it's 100% fabricated and then I have total emotional distance and then it's kind of uh, sometimes difficult to talk to them about the story because every every judgment they're passing on the character's behavior, I'm like remembering, you know, the real life version of what happened. Yeah. And, and kind of like taking it uh, close to the bone. But, you know, I'm, I'm over it with a lot of the stories by now. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, especially with a story like that, it is so... Um, it, it shows people, like, at their most vulnerable and raw and, like, e- easy to, like, misstep. Yeah, I had a really interesting conversation with Eleanor Davis uh, this past TCAF where she was talking about like is it is it wrong for cartoonists to emotionally strong arm their readers <laughs> it's it's hard to put it into words but she was talking about how like a lot of her works obviously have had like profound emotional effects on people but plenty of her comics have made me cry have like haunted me have like made me immediately need to show them to other people you know it feels like a like a life-changing conversation it just like has a really big impact on you and yeah. i've had similar experiences where like comics I do people are like oh my god that's too real or like oh my god how do you know or this like hits so close to home or like oh my god this is me um and I I'm I'm simultaneously touched but then also like I'm unprepared to deal with the like consequences of what I've done (laughs) especially because Twitter kind of like shrinks this world and like you know sometimes these people come to me in person at a show and they they are trying to have this connection with me and I I, I value that I've like I've reached them, but then I'm also like so shy and withdrawn that I'm I'm worried about like being too cold, but then I don't want to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's no etiquette for sure. I think that the net result is positive. God, I hope it is. <laughs> I I think so. And like yeah. um Eleanor like especially like she's someone just at the top of her game right now and like yeah, how could you real. do like a bicycling travelogue book that just like <laughs> rips your heart out like yeah first <laughs> that's the exact book that i've most recently recommended to people because it's just like uh, it's impossible like i tell them it's like her diary comics of doing a bike tour and they're like oh that sounds cool and i'm like no you don't understand it's like life and death and tragedy and comedy and everything in one book <laughs> <laughs> and it's so sparse yeah and I love that. So sparse, but so powerful. Yeah, yeah, that's like when when cartoonists really get to the top of their game, it's like they can they can flick you down a cliff with just like the touch of their finger. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they don't even need to spend hours rendering a page. It's like two pencil strokes and you're like weeping on your couch. <laughs> that Yeah, I remember like talking to Eleanor a number of years ago and just like just the first i don't know she's complicated huge um fan and um i i am very excited no matter what she does next yeah for sure i I think she's i hope this is okay to say but i think she's working on something big currently i wouldn't be surprised i I think we can speculate Uh, sure (laughs) (laughs) uh no matter what it'll be big um now for yourself, um, one of the interesting things, and we talk about Eleanor um, and doing a really sparse book, and then you look at her other stuff, and I mean, incredibly versatile artist doing different styles and mediums. And with your own work, 
it's interesting to see how you're shifting and you're kind of utilizing your skills and pushing it into different directions and kind of how um, you really get this, especially in the second half of the book, how the styles um, complement the stories. Mm, yeah, I, I messed around quite a bit near the end. Um, I kind of like, I was laughing at myself while I was working on the 10th issue because I realized that I'd like pared it down so much that for several issues, the characters like sometimes didn't even have noses. Uh, and then like in the 10th issue, I actually gave them like defined noses and nostrils for the first time ever. It was like <laughs> the least anime style that I'd done so far. Um, I think that, so like the pared down style was kind of a function of just the fact that like, when I started them, I was working full-time corporate. Then I became a freelancer. I'm still a freelance illustrator, and now I teach. Uh, I've never had a ton of time living in San Francisco and like having to hustle to pay rent. I mean, the same is true for everyone, obviously. I, let's be real. I'm just like scatterbrained and bad at time management. Uh, I, I tend to do comics sort of like in the month leading up to a show. It's hard for me to sort of do them way in advance just because I have so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um and for that reason, I think that's like the main limiting factor in in me not doing a single long story yet. I've had several scripted for years and years that I've wanted to work on and just sort of like it doesn't mesh with my work style at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've sort of been taking stock, been getting better at, at management because even though I think that short stories are totally valid and even the most interesting work from people in my experience, uh, reading other people's work, uh, I still want to see what I could do with a long form thing. And I guess queued up after sex fantasy, um, I'm going to be doing my retrofit story finally, which has had many incarnations in the past, uh, God, like five or six years. Um, but it's rescripted now and I'm looking to finish that up before the end of the year. That'll be fantastic. And um, yeah, like, cause I've done this, the sort of like one panel per page thing for sex fantasy, I enjoy just cause the pacing makes sense to me, but, uh, I have ideas about like full page layouts that I want to play with also. Well, and I've noticed like, um, the comics that I, I've looked at online when you do a full page, I mean, you're not just playing around. Um, you're using that page and the dimensions of the page and the flow of the page. Um, oh yeah, I love wacky layouts. I've done tons of things where the layout is kind of the defining feature. Actually, uh, my I did a two-page comic in McSweeney's 50, and the entire premise of it was about like uh, time dilation. So like uh, the feeling of time moving quickly or moving slowly. So um, it starts out with like a whole bunch of tiny panels and then it expands into like a single wide panel that takes up the whole page. And then it like goes back down again and gets dense again and time speeds up. Um, Yeah, so I love super formalist stuff like that. I think that that approach gets fatiguing when it's like longer than 10 pages. (laughs) Uh, And I would want to do something like a little more grid based or structured. but yeah, I love, I, I am like a huge formal comics nerd. I like got my start on Chris Ware when I was in college and still love like, you know, crazy little board game layouts. Now I want to kind of dial back and talk a little bit about college. Um, mm-hmm. You went to Rhode Island School of Design, right? Yeah. Um, when you went there, was your intention illustration or were you interested in doing comics at that oh, point? Oh my God. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I've told this story a few times, so much so that it sounds like trait now but i might as well get it on the record everywhere um <laughs> you don't <laughs> like, have to no no, no 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 i i uh it's a it's a funny story and i think i think people like it because it's kind of tidy and it reflects my future pretty well <laughs> um <laughs> sorry i set it up really weirdly um but so when i was in high school i read comics but i read like uh, vertigo comics I, I hadn't really found like indie stuff yet mm. i was like a sandman fan um and then the day before I graduated from high school I was like bumming around in a used bookstore and I found this like the first edition of 32 stories by Adrian Tomine and that totally like changed my approach to comics I was like oh people do this like you know very you know I don't really think Adrian does stuff like that anymore but you know very like self-indulgent and like funny slice of life things or like weird gag things or random premises um in sort of like a, a really loose, accessible style. Not loose. He wasn't loose even when he was like however old he was when he did those. <laughs> I think uh, there's about two loose pages in that whole yeah. book. <laughs> if that, uh, yeah, like Chris Ware has done one loose page in his life and it's when he was imitating Gary Panter as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and then when I started college, um, I was, my first week at RISD when I was a freshman, I was poking around on Thayer Street in Providence and I passed by the Brown Bookstore and they had the first issue of Mome with the Gabrielle Bell cover. And I was like, I need to know what that is. And when I went in, they didn't have any on the shelf. And I was like, can you take the one from the display? Because I really need to read this book. Uh, and then I read it and I've been a Gabrielle Bell fan since. And I was really happy that she agreed to write the blurb for Sex Fantasy. Because for me, nice. that was like a total closing of the circle. Yeah, I was fucking overjoyed. Um, oh, sorry. Can we curse on this podcast? It's Canada. You can say whatever you want. Oh, cool. Yeah. I just met Gabrielle for the first time this summer. She was, um, her new book, uh, Everything is Flammable is absolutely incredible. I really recommend it to everyone from, um, Uncivilized Press. Mm -hmm. She was signing NSF and I got to meet her and it was just, I tried not to be weird, but it was like a really intense moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah. And then I promptly spent the rest of college having like an identity crisis where I flip-flopped and did really terrible, like, VizDev uh, digital painting for like video games oh, Jesus. <laughs> and like didn't focus on comics that much at all. Um, I signed up for Paul Karasek's comics class when I was a senior and then I, I dropped out because I was doing a video game internship instead. Uh, I did a couple mini comics when I was a sophomore. I guess when I was a junior too, they're still around. Um, definitely heavily like sort of autobio dream stories, very like very graphic. I was like into guru when i was in college which is actually how i met ryan sands he was running he was running same hat and i was like into shintaro kago and maruo and Ito. yeah like all these like horror manga artists and like you know body horror stuff and uh he was like hosting uh scanlations at the time and i entered in this four panel comics contest on the blog and he sent me a junji ito first edition and then we got talking and then we like sent each other postcards and now we live in the same city and we're dear friends and uh, we still, you know, lend each other comics all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and we should make mention that you are in Lovers Only published. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's still, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of like a joint price tapes, Youth in Decline uh, joint um, with Kathy G. Johnson and Mickey Zakili. 
I would love for there to be another issue of that. Actually, I should talk to those guys because it's like the favorite. What like all of us? It's like one of our favorite things we've been in. We just like really vibe together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think there's there's room for another anthology like that. And did you know them at all when you lived in Providence? Oh yeah. Um, so Mickey was a senior at RISD when I was a, a freshman. Oh, okay. I, and I saw her work at like a illustration scene, or I guess it, no, it was a printmaking senior show. She was a printmaking major. Uh, and then there was like this record store. Um, God, can't remember the name, but they had uh, her mini comic from back then, Bullshit Frank and Gorilla Joe, yep. which is an amazing comic. And the really early issues of Rav, which is now like collected and published by Youth in Decline. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I I'm a really original Mickey G fan, Mickey Z fan. I've got like a um a pizza box from a nice slice in Providence that has one of her designs. <laughs> I just bought like a an LP that she did the album art for. I've got a really extensive collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as for Kathy, yeah, I feel like um I first knew Kathy's work. Uh, she had a mini comic called Her Name Was Prudence. Um, that was like the first time she was on my radar. I ordered that and then became a fan and started ordering all her stuff and met her at one convention or another. And I'm still a big fan. Nice. It's it, uh, doing like a little anthology like that. Um, do you kind of like play up, uh, with the expectations of like the skills that the other two bring? Um, yeah, I kind of was like, I, I knew that we all had sort of similar souls <laughs> such a weird thing to say i felt like we we all were attuned so the comic is about um the comic anthology is about teen romance and we didn't plan for all of our stories to be like uh about queer women but they like turned out that way um which i think is you know true to like our our priorities and also our our histories and like perspectives mm-hmm. um and like Kathy's style is sort of, you know, uh, this like loose graphite with like washes and like smudges, um, but still sort of like um, anime inflected. And then Mickey's is like really loose and like chaotic and explosive, but then also has some anime influence. And then I'm like super geometric and constrained, but I also have the anime influence. Um, I think that they all tied together really well. Uh, and we print we printed them in like uh, Rizzo, Burgundy, and Teal, and we did a, a reading of our comics uh, uh, several teacups ago. Maybe it was like three teacups ago, two or three. Probably a while ago. Yeah, we need to we need to come up with another issue so we can get on it again. Um, you used to share studio with Ryan. Oh yeah, just for like a hot second when I uh, when I quit working at Google before I moved into my current studio, I would okay. like uh, daylight at the Resuplex while he moonlighted there because he has a day job. Um, yeah, and we would I would like uh, help him print stuff sometimes, and he would also let me print my own stuff on the Reso occasionally. Uh, how quickly did you start working for Google after leaving college after finishing college? I started in the December after college, spent a long time unemployed. I did do like a two month video game internship, which I I really enjoyed. I'm still like kind of tangentially active in the video game community. There's like a little bit of comics, video game overlap. And there are a lot of like really interesting indie games that excite me and interest me the same way indie comics do. Just like, 
you know, weird, cool people using whatever tools at their disposal to tell like a totally crazy, never before seen story. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it, like my knowledge of indie games is here to none. Um, but it seems like with technology and stuff, it's a lot easier for folks to create interesting things um, independently. Yeah, absolutely. There are tons of tools that let people do things single-handedly, um, which I guess was always the appeal of comics. Um, I was sort of thinking the other day about like <laughs> the role of the ego in one's creative life and sort of like what I like about comics is that like you have total control, but you also don't have to inconvenience anyone else to share your vision. <laughs> it's like with, with music and movies, like you have to depend on other people. Uh, I don't know what it says about me that I like don't want to depend on other people, but I, 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 I have so much, you know, baggage about the validity of my stories and my perspective that I feel like I'm better off just kind of uh, going alone and like, doing the long haul by myself, but I have done, you know, I've done plenty of collaborations, which kind of have loosened me up out of that rut a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, plenty of people collaborate on comics in totally interesting ways, whether it's on the art or like writing an art or, you know, if you're working for a big publisher, then there's like a colorist and an inker, and then you really have to like kind of let go of your baby <laughs> and let it go to someone else. Um, and I think, you know, even something like Lovers Only being in an anthology with people is its own kind of collaboration. Yeah. And that, that's kind of going on what I was asking earlier about, like, when you're presenting with, with with other folks, like, you know, especially when it's such, like, a tight-knit group of three people. It's The work is going to inform each other, even unseen. You, you think about what it's next to. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I, I did this project recently for the Comics for Choice anthology, which is edited by uh, Hazel Nulifant, OK Fox, and Whit Taylor. Um, and that was an anthology designed to raise uh, uh, funds for the National Network of Abortion Funds. So it was like stories, autobiographical stories about uh, people's experience with abortion, and then also stories by educators and like historians and archivers with all sorts of tangentially relevant information. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be in it. I believe that I approached Hazel and then, um, I, I was invited to do the cover, which is really cool. Uh, I had a fun time with that. And then my comic in it is sort of this 10 pager, um, with my experiences of an abortion I had when I was in college, which I knew in the back of my mind that I always wanted to do a comic about. I just was waiting for the right opportunity. And this was by far the best opportunity. It was sort of like in this context where I knew I was going to be surrounded by people who are also being vulnerable. So I didn't feel like it was like putting the spotlight on me too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also knew that these editors were really like, you know, I sort of pitched them the idea beforehand because I, I knew that my story had a lot of like negative emotional um, uh, baggage attached to it. And I, I wanted the anthology to be uplifting and inspiring and like comforting to whoever looked at it. But I also wanted to be honest about my own experiences and they were really receptive. They were like, you know, um, there's a huge variety of stories in this book, so you should feel free to be as individual as you want. And again, that's sort of like uh, the stars aligned and it was just like the perfect time for me. And I also had enough distance on it at that point that I felt like I could do this pretty, um, kind of grueling experience of like looking back on that time. Um, so I'm really glad that I 
had the chance to do it, I definitely think that uh, if it weren't for that anthology, it might have taken me much longer to open up about that. Mm-hmm. Did uh, the final thing, the final story, um, kind of reflect what you had in mind over time? Or has it kind of shifted of how you want to approach the story or how the results would have come out? Because as you said, it was a story you were thinking of needing to tell at some point. Yeah, it's funny because I, I had scripted it as many as like four years ago, <laughs> just like this like ten page thing. And when I had originally scripted it, I had like a lot more bitterness about the person involved and sort of like self loathing, and like just really dark feelings about like what this experience, how it reflected on me. And um, I did retain some of that because I wanted to be honest. But um, I also kind of realized while I was while I was rewriting it for the anthology that like I had actually grown and like gotten over it and had the experience destigmatized, which is due in fact, you know, to a lot of like people that I knew, uh, sharing their experiences, people who had just had kids talking about like, you know, I did have an abortion when I was younger and it was the right choice and now I'm ready to be a parent or, or like there was like a Nicki Minaj interview where she was talking about having had an abortion. And I was like, Oh my God. I, I, that sounds silly, but like I was really moved by it. She was just like very candid and like you know uh, shared that it was a a, a deeply uh, traumatizing experience for her and like that she did have some feelings that could be called regret, which I think is where the really complicated crux of the issue comes in. Like you you don't want to say that you regret it because you you know that it was the right choice and the only choice you could have made. But there are also like many layers of feelings and like and you know, guilty feelings involved where you want to express those but not not risk uh disincentivizing people who might be reading, you know? So yeah, super complicated, but like getting all those perspectives and like realizing that people, you know, tons of people feel similarly messy about it, um, was really liberating and finishing that story was super therapeutic for me. And I think that's great to be able to say a story like this is not simple. Yeah, it's for sure. Easy. It's, it, it, it's, it's any part of it. Can't, I, I mean, being a cis het dude, it's not my world at all. And I can't imagine all that complexities to it. Yeah. I think, I think that, there's a risk that we run in our community and it kind of happens like along all different axes of like marginalized groups coming forward and telling a story that like hasn't, you know, that that's, that's maybe new or, or groundbreaking in some way. Uh, you really, there's kind of this hazard of like people putting so much expectation on you that they want it to cover like all possible nuances of the experience. Yeah. Um, and the reason that they feel that pressure is that because there's stigma around talking about certain issues, people are discouraged from doing so. So there's kind of like not as much material out there to show the variety of experiences. Um, but then that's kind of enforced by the fact that like we put these creators under so much scrutiny, you know, like whether it's like queer creators, trans creators, like creators of color who are telling their really individual stories, but like feeling this pressure from the mainstream to like speak for everyone in their group, which is so bogus and unfortunate. Um, and like, you know, kind of go ahead. Or an expectation that if you're coming from that group, this is what your story has to look like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's super damaging, totally messed up. Um, the only thing like we can do as community members is like, you know, focus on 
the individual and uh, give people more platforms to tell those kinds of stories so that, you know, we don't feel this like kind of weird double standard where we're like holding indie creators to like a way higher level of scrutiny than like, I don't know, major publishers. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, 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 I love what you're saying. Um, there are so many stories and that's kind of the exciting thing right now with comics is just being able to like open up random things and come from different directions. And even with your own work, it's, um, that, that story in itself is very different from the sex fantasy book. And Mm -hmm. you're kind of, you're pushing yourself in a different directions and taking on, um, different voices for different spaces i guess yeah yeah it was a 10 page story and it it sort of uh i did play a lot with the layout in that one um again not not in a way that i think could like sustain a a whole graphic novel (laughs) but sort of like like a 5 to 15 page story i think is perfect for like doing something really interesting with the format that kind of forms a rhythm and uh, i like giving the reader like a a kind of sense of the structure of the overall story um Sort of like in an episodic way. Yeah. Well, I look forward to being able to read it. Yeah, it should be out really soon. I think people can order it right now. Um, now, on a totally different tangent, I want to know what it's like to go to Hawaii with <laughs> Roman Murdoff. <laughs> the, the, the Prince of Darkness himself. <laughs> the human walking black cat. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll have to read Sex Fantasy to find out. <laughs> Um, yeah, a lot of people, uh, find that comic really funny. Uh, some people find it super depressing. I've, I've, uh, had friends tell me that they've like gotten into arguments with their friends over whether the story is funny or sad. Um, to which my answer is like, obviously it's, it's both like the reason that I wanted to take that particular anecdote and make it into a story is that it was like pretty emblematic of like our, our dynamic and a lot of things that were going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, you know, several years now, uh, since that happened. Um, but yeah, I've, I've talked about it. I've been on a few like auto bio panels where people ask about like, what if you do a vulnerable comic where you're talking about someone else? Like, how do you get their approval? And, you know, I told them as I'm telling you now that when I scripted that comic, I sent it to Roman and, and he sort of like uh, tweaked his own dialogue to reflect what he actually said. And then I read it and agreed that that, you know, was a more accurate representation. So <laughs> it was like we collaborated on the script, although he only touched uh, his half of the dialogue. <laughs> I just I, when I read it, I, I hear his voice and I yeah. can see these exact situations unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. People who know him uh, find that story very compelling. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of the only like forthright like autobio story representing yourself. Um, oh, so oh, the ninth the ninth issue is also autobio, but it sort of deviates from me uh, pretty quickly. Well, also you do like the the reason I'm saying that is also with the, that one you're kind of playing more with um, how figures are represented mm, and yeah. stuff. Um, that was one of the no nose ones, right? Or they just have very small noses, <laughs> tiny <laughs> weird heads. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, just little dot noses. Yeah, yeah, that was my dot nose face. Even if you, like, you don't even really see people's faces uh-huh. in it much either, and that's where it's kind of, like, one of the things with that story, because you're really just, like, you're telling the story of this unique little, um, I was going to say little person, that sounds terrible. 
Um, a little like chibi person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just like, it's their story within their experience. Um, and just everyone else is just kind of fodder for the story. Yeah. It, I kind of returned to that. So like that was the seventh issue. The eighth issue got kind of realistic again. And then the ninth issue is sort of like a mix where most of the characters are humans, but then the protagonist that we're following is sort of this, uh, small, you know, minuscule kind of doll person, um, which is both like a, a representation of like her, her personality and then like the way that she found herself in that situation. Um, I enjoyed, I, uh, I'll be honest, I really enjoyed the book and I'm very happy. Oh, thank you. Um, and I, I've only read like a couple of the sex fantasy issues because I just get them like if I saw you at a show and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're they're sort of I don't sell the issues online. They're like on my Tumblr, but it's not the intended format. So yeah, and I'm terrible at reading anything online. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, so it was really exciting to kind of experience your work through a different way, um, and really like kind of get this wide thing. And that that's what I'm really excited by is like seeing a lot of collections of folks mini comics and. Just seeing where they come and where they go. Cool, thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed it. A reminder, folks, I've been talking to Sophia Foster-Dimino, and her new book is Sex Fantasy from Koyama, as well as you can find uh, Lovers Only, likely uh, at um, Youth in Decline, uh, as well you're in the new... As you mentioned earlier, Comics for Choice Anthology, edited by Hazel Nulevent and Whit Taylor, and who's the third person? OK Fox. OK Fox. There we go. And you're also in the new McSweeney's, or McSweeney's 50. I don't know if it's the new one. I've lost track of the issues. It, as of this recording, it is the newest one, as okay. far as I know. <laughs> awesome. And then you'll be at SPX and uh, Cartoon Arts. Is it Cartoon Arts LA? Uh-huh, Kala in December. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you, Robin. Hope to see you soon. Yeah.